You can turn back with me in your Bibles tonight then to the book of Acts and chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And as we um, carry on looking at the book of Acts in our evening services, um, tonight I want to preach to us from one of the most notable uh, speeches, sermons in the book of Acts, um, perhaps in the entirety of the scriptures as well. Uh, Paul's powerful witness uh, for the gospel, witness to the um, supremacy of, of Jesus Christ and of, of, of his truth um, on, on, on Mars Hill in Athens. Um, we, uh, we, we thought this morning about, in our, in our morning service, preaching from the first chapter of the book of Acts and on the calling that Christians have to be, to be witnesses to the gospel. And, and the book of Acts, more than any other perhaps in the scriptures, uh, bears witness to the, um, the meaning, the, the nature of what it is to be a witness for Jesus, um, what it is to live as witnesses for, uh, live as witnesses uh, for, for Christians. Um, we, we see often that it means to proclaim the truth of Jesus, to speak the truth of Jesus. We, we see also that it means to speak boldly for Jesus Christ. We see often that it means to, um, to be willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. I was saying that um, the word witness even now translates, it translates in, 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 our, uh, in our English language, the word martyrdom and that at least very often in the New Testament, the witness was also someone who was willing to be a martyr. It was certainly true for the disciples. Well, we have one of uh, a very unique example here then of what it means to be a witness. I, I think the, the reason why Paul's sermon and Paul's speech on, on, on Mars Hill has often um, has, has held a, a dear place in the heart of, of Christians and, and churches is because of the, you, maybe the unique way, even in the book of Acts itself, that we find the apostle confronting um, a pagan culture. Um, for, the, for the most part in the book of Acts, or for a large part of the book of Acts, and um, obviously by the time we get to this part of, of Paul's, of the book of Acts, and by the time we get to Paul's mission, second missionary journey, obviously we started to see the gospel reach out to the Gentiles. But prior to that, a lot, you know, the first section of the book of Acts finds the apostle interacting with, and the apostles interacting with um, unbelievers, but Jewish unbelievers. And so very often they have a, a background in the scriptures, and we see very strong points of similarity. Paul is speaking to people, uh, or the apostles are speaking to people who know something about the Messiah, who know something about the scriptures. And uh, we, we see how the gospel has to confront folks in, in that kind of mold. But there is uh, something about then seeing Paul confront a Gentile audience. Uh, it's, it's very clear as we, we read through, for example, Acts chapter 17, that this is not, um, for example, a, a biblically literate people. Like when, when Paul speaks to the Athenians, um, they, they, they don't know very much about 
the, the, the God of the Bible. They don't know very much about uh, Jesus Christ, his name. They don't know very much about um, the things he has done. They don't know very much about his death. They don't know about his resurrection. And they don't even have, they don't have a basis, if you want, to believe those things, to think of those things. The Jews, for example, had at least, um, at least a, a, a good number of, of, of Jewish receivers of the truth, had a basis for believing in things like the afterlife and the resurrection, for example. Uh, but when Paul confronts these folks in, in Athens, and when he preaches uh, on this platform, eventually we're going to see him speaking on this platform in Mars Hill, Areopagus, and addressing the culture, he's really addressing folks who, they, 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 there's no, they, they don't have a, a background knowledge in, 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 in in, in the scriptures, they they don't they, they they say he's a babbler. He's speaking confusing things, and and yet we see that Paul engages these folks, right? He still engages them with the gospel. He proclaims the gospel to them, and I I see I think we feel an affinity for that. We we often find that we are very aware that increasingly we we're, we're going to have to um, confront a, a culture, uh, confront with with the gospel a culture that doesn't have. Um, is not very biblically literate and um, increasingly, how do we bring the, the gospel to people who, who have never heard about what Jesus has done before, who, who, who don't know their, their genesis from the revelation, who are, uh, who, who are uh, ignorant about the things of God like the Athenians? Well, well the, Acts 17 reminds us that it's something that Christians um, will have to do. Um, that um, the gospel is relevant even for those folks, right? The gospel is not just relevant for people who were raised in the church. The gospel is not just relevant for people um, who know something about Christianity. The gospel is relevant for, for all. And so Paul's approach to doing this, the way Paul takes the gospel to these people who don't know anything about the scriptures, to these pagans, to these idolaters, has always been uh, very, as I said, is, is dear to Christians. We, and we ought to um, take note of his logic, how Paul is confronting this um, secular, if you want, almost culture, this idolatrous culture, how Paul is confronting them. And, and next week we will, we will dig into his speech, the speech itself, and, and we will notice that there is something unique about Paul's approach. So even, even when you read Paul's speech in Acts 17 and how he proclaims the truth to these, uh, these idolaters in, in, in Athens, you can, you can see that he has made certain adjustments. He hasn't adjusted the truth. There is an adjustment in his approach that reminds us that Paul is sensitive um, to, to the change in his audience and so uh, reminds us that we may need to be sensitive to... Um, how we bring the gospel when our audience changes, when we're addressing people who know nothing of the gospel, who, who don't share a lot of our, of our presuppositions or of our worldview. How do we approach them with the gospel? And so Paul um, leaves for us this great legacy that's so instructive on how we do witness and, and, and eventually can make us, will, will make us more effective, um, as long as we pay close attention, more, more effective in how we approach um, folks with the, with the gospel. But before we come to look at that then, next, next Lord's Day at the very least, next Lord's Day evening, 
looking at Paul's words and why he chooses to approach the Athenians this way, I want us to look this evening at Paul's attitude, just Paul's attitude. There's a a profound statement of Paul's attitude when he lands in Athens, when he finds himself in Athens. So you, you know that Paul had been driven here uh, essentially by facing persecution in the, in the last place he was preaching. And he's, at this point, he's actually waiting um, for Timothy and, and others who he had called to meet him in Athens. So verse 16 tells us while Paul was, was waiting for them at Athens. So Paul's in Athens. He's waiting for um, his, his co-workers to come and meet with him. Um, while he's waiting there, his spirit was provoked within him. And it, it's, it's, that, it's that attitude that Paul has to seeing the idolatry around him. It's that attitude that Paul has to seeing the godless, godlessness around him that drives him eventually, or, or, or at least it gives us some insight into what drives him to be such a, a faithful witness um, to the culture around him. Right? We're going to see shortly that Paul confronts this culture. He doesn't hold back. He speaks powerfully the truth to these, to these folks who are in, in darkness and who are taken up by so much deceit. We're going to see that, right? But, but what moves Paul to be concerned enough to do that? What moves Paul to be bold enough to say, I need to speak to the truth to these folks? Is that initial mind state where he's, he's provoked when he sees this this is his attitude. He's provoked by this. And, and because that's the case, it, it's really a word that describes the fact that there was conviction about Paul um, when he sees the idolatry. There's conviction about him. He's, he's convicted about what he's seeing, and so he speaks. And, and ultimately, I want to say that uh, if we are going to bear witness for the cause of Christ, we have to be convicted people. We have to be the kind, like Paul, who are provoked. And, 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 and maybe very often, the first hurdle at which our witness fails is that there is no provocation. We're not provoked by an idolatrous city. We're not provoked by the godlessness around us. And that already means that we're not going to be provoked to speak up either. We're not going to be desperate to share the truth. We don't even see that these folks are in need of the truth. So I I want to commend that to you tonight. I want to say to us that this is the Christian mind that we ought to seek and have when we are faced with the idolatry around us. This is the question we ought to ask ourselves. Am I provoked? Am I provoked? Because there's idolatry over London, am I, am I provoked by the idolatry? Am I provoked by the godlessness, by the false religion? What's my reaction with it, or am I at home with it? And so it's helpful to indicate what Paul does not do when he arrives in Athens. I'll tell you some things that Paul does not do when he arrives in Athens, and he sees that the city is full of idols, um, there was a saying once that there was more idol, there were more idols in Athens 
than there were people. Right? Athens was full of idols. And then full of philosophers as well. Folks who essentially would present competing views. They might not have known this about what it, what it meant to, to be, about existence, about God, about life. Uh, views that were competing and conflicting with the message that Paul spoke of the gospel. And you notice how the interaction happens here. By the time Paul finished speaking about his simple story, the simple story of the gospel, there's this suggestion, he's not sophisticated. Some said in verse 14, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? What's this, what's this guy saying? There's, there's a sense in which, compared to our philosophies, he's not sophisticated enough. Paul is, com- is confronted by this, but, but he's apparently intellectual and sophisticated idea of, of how to do life and what life is about. And how does Paul respond to that? I, as I said, he's provoked, but there are some of the things he does not do. Um, one, clearly he's not put off by the Athenians, right? Paul does not give up speaking to them. There's something about Paul being defined as provoked by the idols that is reminiscent of, 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 of how in the Old Testament God um, felt about the idolatry of Israel. Idolatry was always uh, something that was very uh, distasteful to God and, and was always be uh, very distasteful to those who were righteous. They would hate the idolatry of a nation. And so Paul is provoked enough. He, in one sense, he hates what he sees. He, doesn't, he, he, he despises this idolatry. He despises the falsehood. But it doesn't mean that Paul is then put off by them. That is, he doesn't give up feeling the need to engage these folks with the truth, right? He's not so put off by the idolatry, by the, the darkness that he decides to, say, for example, hide from his culture, the, the culture, or, or, or fair engagement with them. In a moment, you're going to see Paul pit his own worldview his truth against theirs in such a way, of course, to indicate that what I have is truth and you are, you are deceived in many ways. But Paul does engage with the culture. He engages with them, right? He, the, the, his decision is not to hide from, and we, we must not do that either. We must not then um, show maybe because of fear or whatever sort of reason we devise in our own minds, think that the right thing to do um, when we are confronted by the reality that our culture is so godless, that our culture is full of idolatry, we must not then assume that the right thing to do is to hide and, and not to engage and to be afraid to speak of Jesus or to speak to people about Jesus. He doesn't, he's not put off by anything. He doesn't, he doesn't think that they are unworthy of receiving the gospel. Yes, the idolatry is something that provokes him. Yet, yes, the 
Um, the idolatry is something that angers him, but it doesn't move him to hate the people of Athens. You know, sometimes Christians can, we can fall into this um, error of thinking that because we, we hate the sins that men and women commit, it's right for us to hate them. Or it's right for us to be rude to folks. Or, 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 um, or, or treat men and women like they're no longer made in the image of God because we think their, their, their sins are so despicable. We see the idolatry. And so we are, we're just, we, we treat them like they have no value. That's not a, a biblical approach to the world around us. Paul is so willing to find value in these men and women made in the image of God and to acknowledge the value they have that later on, we're going to see him making arguments from their own philosophies, right? So all these philosophies that ultimately Paul thinks are in conflict with the truth of Jesus Christ, and yet he's able to find truth in them. He says, you know, you guys have said some things that are true. Um, Paul is not put off by the Athenians. He's, he realizes that there is still a way in which he can engage this culture. So he's not put off by the Athenians, is the first thing to see. The next thing to say is that Paul was not persuaded by the Athenians. He wasn't persuaded by them. Right? He arrives in Athens. He sees this city that's full of idols. And he's able to still stand and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. He's not persuaded by the Athenians. You know, he doesn't think, oh, there's so much idolatry here, so much philosophy. He, he, he's not enticed by it. He doesn't, he doesn't then forsake the truth of the gospel because of that. He's waiting in Athens for his co-workers. By the time they arrive, they're not, they're not going to meet a Paul who doesn't believe the gospel anymore. Right? Isn't that uh, important to say that all the idolatry around us does not have to overwhelm us? All, all the idolatry around us doesn't have to make us lose confidence in the gospel. All, all these fancy voices, all these brilliant speakers, doesn't make Paul doubt the veracity of the gospel. Right? The, the Athenians, Luke says, they never stop introducing a new thing. They have one new idea after the other, and they call Paul a babbler. But it doesn't make Paul doubt the urgency of his own message. You know, very often um, you hear it, you hear uh, Christians, young Christians will say they, w they went off to university and when they went to university, they started to engage with all kinds of ideas and read all kinds of books and that's what made them give up on the gospel. You know, they, 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 they say they, they didn't think the gospel could stand up to the um, the intellectual uh, tests that they were faced with. Uh, the, the, the gospel didn't have the same force of logic. Well, Paul, listen, it's, it's thought that the most brilliant philosophy that the world has ever seen came from, from Athens. The most brilliant minds. And yet, Paul passes through Athens and, and he doesn't ever question, doesn't ever lead him to doubt the reliability of the gospel. And, 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 and know that when Paul does confront, when he does speak on Mars Hill, 
Paul is speaking with forceful logic. He's not speaking purely from emotion. It's not like he's, he's speaking just purely from feelings. He's, he's applying logic. There's intellect about what he says. He's thinking. He's a reader himself. And yet, in all of that, he, he, he doesn't doubt the truth of the gospel. The simple story of the gospel. It's, it's not true that there is something about academia or there's something about science and um, the new developments in science that means that we have to question the gospel. It's not true that the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to, to, to affirm the gospel of Jesus means that we can't also be intellectually uh, reliable. It's not true. We don't have to be persuaded by the idolatry around us. We don't have to be persuaded by the philosophies around us. We don't have to begin to doubt our worldview because we are around so much. And, and Christians, we, we, have to, we have to think, we have to be willing to think critically, right? We can be, we can, we, we can be exposed, in, to some sense you might say, to competing worldviews and competing thoughts and competing philosophies and still realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what is true and still refuse to be persuaded by these things. Right? And it, 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 doesn't, it didn't change the fact that there were loads of, the Bible says it was full of idols. There wasn't, it wasn't full of churches. It was full of idols. And yet, Paul maintains his confidence in the gospel of Jesus. So he's not put off by the Athenians. He's not persuaded by them either. And, 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 and so it's not true. That, that, that's a lie that because we're in a world that's full of competing ideas and competing thoughts and competing philosophies, full of idolatries, we have to lose confidence in the gospel. We don't it's important to come to church to strengthen your conviction in the gospel, absolutely. It's important to be around Christians to strengthen your faith. But that's, when we say that, it's not because we think that you being around idols means that you're going to lose confidence in the gospel. Sorry, idolaters means that you're going to lose confidence in the gospel. I know that you have to go out into the world and be around idolaters. I know that you have to... Um, be around idolaters at work. But it doesn't mean that you have to lose confidence in the gospel. No, the, the, the gospel stands true uh, regardless. And so when folks turn away from the gospel, it's not because it was impossible for the gospel to stand firm in the face of um, the idolatries, in the face of the philosophies. When folks turn away from the gospel, um, it's a hard issue. It's not, it's not the gospel itself, it's the heart. So Paul did not, was not persuaded by Athenians. And finally, he doesn't pander to the Athenians. He doesn't pander to them. He's about to confront this culture. He's about to confront this, um, the, 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 this idolatrous culture. He's about to confront them with all their philosophies. And when we finally hear Paul speaking, in fact, when the, when the philosophers describe what he's preaching, what do they say? He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, right? Even when he's speaking to these philosophers, he doesn't begin to adulterate or change the message. He, he, he doesn't engage in syncretism. He doesn't try and combine Christianity with idol worship. He doesn't try and blend them together. He doesn't try to adjust the message so that he can soothe the ears of the people. He doesn't change the message. It may be that he adjusts his approach but the truth itself is not twisted, is not changed, is not touched. 
the pillar and the ground of truth. He proclaims Jesus. He has to proclaim Christ and the resurrection. He proclaims the truth of God's word. He doesn't attempt to see how he can mix Christianity with the philosophies. And we must not do the same thing. It's right for us to engage with our culture. And we should desire to engage the culture with the gospel. But when we desire to do that, if we attempt to blend the philosophies of this world with the truth of the gospel, then we are not engaging culture for Christ. Right? We're not engaging the culture for Jesus Christ. He, he doesn't play the coward and refuse to express his convictions, right? Um, some of us, will, will, he doesn't say, oh, well, there's so many of these guys around. Let me not say anything that will offend them. Let me, let me, let me keep strong. Let me not speak out about my faith. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pander to them. We must not do that in how we approach, um, when we want to approach folks with the gospel. We want to speak to people compassionately and lovingly, but there's no room for compromising. We can't twist things to make it soothe people, to make it appeal to them. Um, Paul doesn't pander. He doesn't pander. He speaks with wisdom. He adjusts his approach, doesn't adjust the truth. And those are the three things we see that Paul does not do. He doesn't put off. He's not put off by the idolatry. He's not persuaded by it. He doesn't pander to it. But what, what, what we do know, as I said, what is Paul's attitude? His attitude is not to compromise. His attitude is not to, to look down on. Um, his attitude uh, is, 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 is not to be, uh, to be afraid or be fearful. No, but he's, he's provoked. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And this is the beginning um, of, this is the attitude that Paul has that means he's bound to confront. He's bound to feel the need to confront his culture, with the truth. Because he's provoked. He's pro provoked by the dishonoring of Christ's glory and truth. And this is even in a culture where they don't know Jesus. But Paul is convinced that Jesus Christ is worthy of glory wherever he goes. Paul knows that Jesus Christ had said that he has commissioned us to make disciple of, disciples of all nations. So when Paul goes to a nation and goes to a people who they, they've never heard the gospel perhaps, but he sees idolatry. He, he sees men and women who ought to be accountable, who are accountable to God, and yet are bowing down to idols. And he's provoked by that, just the dishonor of God's glory. We're not going to be faithful witnesses until we are concerned for God's glory. Remember what, how Jesus Christ instructs us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. It's all well and good saying, pray without ceasing. Pray fervently. Pray always. Cry out to God. We had an amazing sermon here um, a few weeks ago about prayer and how God wants us to wrestle with him. How, how we, we, we ought to remember that very often when God doesn't, hasn't answered our prayers, he, got, he wants us to, it's because he wants us to, to keep coming, actually. And that because he hasn't done it for us now doesn't mean he's not going to do it for us later. And actually, 
persevering in prayer is often the means by which we receive what we want in prayer. Those are encouraging things to hear. But do you see where the priority lies in how Jesus instructs us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name. How many of us, how can, can we say we have a burden to pray? Hallowed be your name. I know what it's like to have a, a burden to pray. Give me this day my daily bread. I know what it's like to pray, a burden to, I have a burden to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Forgive me my trespasses. Those are all, and we should have a, I'm not saying, we should have a burden. To, but do you know what it's like to have a burden to pray? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Paul was dishonored just by, Paul was provoked just by God not being glorified. You see, the, the, the idols today, I'm, I'm sure if you go to Athens, these idols are in a museum, right, somewhere. That's what happens to idols. They're in a museum somewhere, and you see them, and they're beautiful works of art. Now, I'm sure, you look at them, and you say, oh, that's brilliantly done, or whatever. Paul has no time, though, right, to be moved by the artistry of the idols. He's moved by the fact that these idols and these pieces of art were being used to the son of the glory of God. Do we care for God's glory? Are we provoked enough? You know, to see God is just being dishonored and I'm moved, I'm provoked, I'm restless. He was provoked by that. He wanted God to be glorified. Paul was provoked by the fact of the Athenians being dead in sin. They didn't know it, but he did. They weren't concerned about it, but he was. Do not live our lives the opposite way. We go around, we see that people are smiling, they seem to be having fun, and we don't want to disturb that. And so we don't feel any pity for them. We're not provoked by the fact that they are dead in sin. Hollywood must be the worst for this because no one is good at doing makeup like Hollywood. Hollywood will make everything look perfect. And celebrity culture makes everything look so good. I don't know, you know, on the Insta, they're going to post that I'm living, I'm living my best and you see holiday today and holiday tomorrow and splashing the cat. And we look at folks dead in their sin and there's no... Provocate. We're not provoked. We're not convicted. We, 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 we celebrate them and we, we celebrate their successes, but we don't often think, well, what is all of this if they don't know God? What is it? It's nothing. It's vanity. Whoever, whoever the biggest celebrity you can think of is, I've been impressed by celebrities and their accolades. Lionel Messi and LeBron James, I'm into sports or something like that. Maybe it's a musician for you, Beyonce. You know, all of them. The height of success and greatness in your field and the glitter. But what is it? It's vanity. If you don't know God, 
I'm not provoked enough. I'm not provoked enough. Paul was provoked by the fact that the Athenians were dead in sin. Provoked by the reality. And you see in his preaching that these folks would face the judgment of God. He was provoked by that. He never stopped seeing the end. We must all stand before God in judgment. Provoked by the fact that this false religion would lead to eternal destruction. Provoked by that. Are we provoked by false religion? I know it is good to live in peace with men and women. Absolutely. There's a place to say, Christians, absolutely, we, we want to live in, live in peace with Muslims. Live in peace with Buddhists, Hindus. Absolutely. I want to live in peace with my Muslim neighbor or whatever. And, and there's many things, I'm sure, that I can do peacefully and graciously with my Muslim neighbor. But eternal life is not one of those things. And faith cannot do. There's a, there's a confrontation. I know that your false religion is not going to lead you to heaven. I've, I've, heard, I've heard people say the most amazing things because of their religion. I've seen people say about how their whole lives were changed because of their religion. I went to, I, I, I became a Muslim, stopped smoking, stopped drinking, went back to school, stopped fornicating. I've, I've seen and heard that before. But I know that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. We have to be provoked by false religion and how Satan uses it to deceive men and women into thinking that they are, they, they, they can, they're making their way to God. And all the while, he knows they're heading for destruction. Paul was provoked by the demonic activity surely, that he was beholding. These folks thinking they're worshiping God. You know, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that these idols, these offerings are being made to devils. So this man with his spiritual eyes, he saw Satan at work. Do we still see Satan at work? If I phrase it strangely, do we still believe about Satan? Do we believe about demons? Do we believe that? Do we still see that? That there's demonic activity in the way this person is moving. In the thoughts that are being put out here. Do, are we sensitive to that? Are we still provoked by that? You know what we do, end up doing sometimes? We end up making fun of Christians who are. We end up laughing at them. Saying they take things too seriously. What do you take seriously? Are we provoked? Are we provoked? Brothers and sisters... I believe, as I said this morning in the preaching, that to witness requires power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask myself today, what does that mean to have the power of the Spirit? Maybe one of the things I will say is that it's to be provoked. As we're filled with the Spirit, as we're surrendered to the Spirit of God, one of the things that happens to us, is that we provoke. If you're a Christian, then, you are. There's a sense in which you are always provoked, or you've known something of that provocation. But I think what we're dealing with is the strength of it, the strength of our provocation. For whatever reason, sometimes it subsides. We become too drunk on the pleasures of this world. 
We're not meditating on God's truth enough. We're not praying as we ought to be. Uh, we're, we're maybe keeping some kind of, we're keeping a sinful lifestyle or grieving the spirit. And so we're no longer provoked as we ought to be. And, and in all of those things, we need to repent and, 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 and cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me not to be asleep. Help me to be awake. Help me to be provoked for your glory. Help me to be provoked about your honor. Help me to be provoked about the, the lostness. Let me see with spiritual eyes. I don't want to look anymore like a carnal person. Look like a faithless. Let me see with spiritual eyes. Every time when I go into work, wherever I go, let me see with spiritual eyes. So that I may be provoked and, 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 and thus be stirred up to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Amen.